Has anyone ever seen a logo like this? He is greater than I. Anybody? There's like a whole clothing line about it. That's the whole subject of the message today, the idea that Jesus, he, is greater than me or I or you. But I think we'd all admit, you know, we'd all be like, yeah, Jesus is greater than me. Of course he is. He's Jesus. But my question for you guys today, the question I want to give you is, do our lives actually reflect the fact that Jesus is greater than us? Do we live that way? Because in reality, we're very self-absorbed. I don't know if you are, but I definitely know I am. When I wake up in the morning, the first thing I feel is, I am hungry. I need food. And I go straight for my sock drawer where I keep a bunch of energy bars. <laughs> You're like, what on earth? Why are you storing food in your sock drawer? I don't know. They're clean socks. I mean, it's not like the food's getting dirty. But I wake up and I think about me. It's the first thing. Um, our generation, though, and I really, when I say our, I mean yours, um, your generation um, has been called one of the most narcissistic uh, generations of all time. You're the, the selfie generation, uh, constantly, right, yeah, taking selfies, taking pictures of yourself, uh, posting pictures, and then um, when you only get five likes, you delete those pictures because it's like, oh man, I was hoping I'd get 20, but I only got five. Not worth it. And we're constantly just thinking like, how can I be seen? How can I be liked? How can I be upvoted? What can I do to make people like me? I like me. I want other people to like me. Um, in 1957, a movie came out called The Incredible Shrinking Man. And uh, you guys have heard of Ant-Man, right? This is kind of like the 1957 version of it. It was about a guy who shrunk to a very small size. Um, this is Scott Carey, and uh, yeah, you can see him there opening the door, and oh, there's a cat. It's not a giant cat. He's just very, very small. Scott Carey was a scientist who was exposed to radiation and bug killer. Get it? Bug, bug killer? So obviously he shrinks to the size of a bug. <laughs> Makes perfect sense, almost as much as Spider-Man getting spider powers when being bit by a spider. So this guy just continues to shrink and shrink, and he's able to do interesting, cool things like walk around the kitchen and climb up a giant can of beans, but his life actually becomes more and more difficult. The more he shrinks, he has to deal with crazy things like spiders attacking at him, and yeah, just very, very rough life shrinking. Well, today we're going to look at a guy who totally had the heart to be a guy who shrunk. He had a heart to be the kind of guy who didn't care about shrinking, and that's John the Baptist. So let's look at these verses. Oh, man, it's all cut off. I'm so sorry, but if you have it in your Bible, you should be fine. So we're in John chapter 3, verse 22 through 36. So we're just going to read the whole portion, and then we'll go over it. So in verse 22, John 3, 22. After these things, after the things that Jake's going to teach on in two weeks, after those things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he remained with them and baptized. Now John was also baptizing in Anon near Salim, because there was much water there. I love that. He was baptizing because there was tons of water there, and when you're a baptizer, you kind of need water, so worked out perfectly. And they came and were baptized, for John had not yet been thrown into prison. A little foreshadowing of what's going to happen to John in the future. Verse 25, then there arose an argument between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification. And they came to John and they said, Rabbi! He who was with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing and all are coming to him. Who is he referring to here? Anybody? Starts with a J. Jesus, thank you. That's the, always the answer in church, every time, Jesus. So he's saying, there's a guy, Jesus, he is baptizing across the Jordan and everyone's going to him instead of you, John. John answered and said, listen, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourself bear me witness that I said I'm not the Christ, but I've been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, and the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase, I must decrease. That's our first that's our key verse for today. Like, let's just, let's just repeat it so we absorb it into our hearts. Okay? Say it with me. 
he must increase, I must decrease. He who comes from all above is above all. He who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. Verse 32. And what he has seen and heard that he testifies and no one receives his testimony. Verse 33. He who has received his testimony has certified that God is true. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For God does not give the spirit by measure. The father loves the son and has given all things into his hand. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. He who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Let's pray. Lord, we just ask that during this, this time that you would help us, Lord, to absorb these words and scriptures into our heart as we just pull these passages apart to try to determine what do they mean. God, I pray that you would help us to understand that you must increase in our life and we must decrease. Help us, Lord, to realize that. In your name, amen. So just to recap what's going on in this verse, it's pretty simple. There comes this argument about baptism. John's disciples, you know, he's John the Baptist. That's his identity. He goes around. He's the guy wearing the long hair and the camel skin, eating bugs out in the desert. There's this argument that comes up. We don't even know really what's it about, just something about the nature of baptism. But basically, in that conversation, it comes out, they're saying, hey, John, you're the baptizer. But there's this other guy, and he's baptizing people. And, you know, everyone used to come to you, and now everybody is coming to him. Now, you need to understand, like, what do we call John? John the Baptist. He is, like, that is his identity. That is what he does. So, right now, his identity is being challenged. Like, he is known as the one who does baptizing, and now... Jesus, the guy down the street, is baptizing even more people. What is John's response? It's not, does he say, you know, oh, I can't believe that. I'm going to go talk to him and say, hey, this is my territory. This is my area. No, what he says is he goes, perfect. John has, he, he understands that he's called to be this incredible shrinking man. He says, that's perfect. I need to fade. The more I fade, the better. And the more Jesus takes center stage, the better. He is greater than I. He must increase, but I must decrease. So today we've just got three really simple lessons that I think we can pull out of these verses. The first is just the idea of there's no self-made men. So what you're looking at there is um, it's this classic statue, if you can see it. It's a guy who's basically carving himself out of stone. He's like got his hammer, he's got his pick, and it's like the idea is it started as a block, just this perfectly um, just blank slate. But then the block started to chisel itself, and now there's a man taking place and forming out of the rock. But really, that's a lie. It's also the American dream. Like for those of you guys who've grown up, you know, in America, which is all of you, and if you haven't, come tell me where you grew up, because that'd be awesome. Um, to have somebody from a foreign land. But for those of you guys like me who grew up in America, that's the dream. It's make a lot of money, like go out, pull up your bootstraps, do hard work, earn a living, get stuff, and then one day you'll retire and you'll have a house and a boat and lots of kids and lots of money. And it's like you've got to go and do that yourself. And some of you guys are wired that way. I've even talked to some of you guys and you're kind of like entrepreneurs. Uh, there's a few young entrepreneurs in this room. That means people who are business-minded, people who know how to make cash. That wasn't me. Um, but if that's you, um, you might be in danger of falling into the idea that you can be a self-made man. John's idea, like, for John, he totally could have thought of himself this way. Because, I mean, really, he's the son of a priest. And then one day, he feels like, I've got to go and tell people about the Messiah. He hears from God. So he goes, and he leaves everything. He leaves everything behind. He takes a lot of risks. He moves out into the desert. He skins a camel and wears camel skins. He starts eating insects. I mean, he could have been a massive failure. He could have been just some random homeless person out in the wilderness, and no one came to see him. But now thousands of people are coming to be baptized by John. It could have been very easy for John to think, you know, God gave me a plan, but I'm the one who made it happen. I did it. I took the risk. I left my home. I ate the bugs. I skinned the camel. Like, I am the man. Look at all these people being baptized by me. He could have been prideful. But look at verse 27. In verse 27, John 
says, hey, nothing comes from man. It all comes from heaven. Nothing is given to man except from heaven. He's basically saying all of my success comes from God. And that's a verse you guys need to look at. You need to look at that verse and absorb that into your heart. There is nothing given to man except that which comes from heaven. It all comes from God. But many believe the lie of a self-made man. Here's a guy who's been in the news a lot lately. Maybe you've seen him. But this is a guy who definitely believes in the idea of a self-made man. This is Donald Trump. He's a massive, I, I think, billionaire, maybe just millionaire. Pretty sure billionaire. But here's some of his quotes um, just, just about how he feels about himself. He says, the beauty of me is that I'm very rich. He also says, my fingers are long and beautiful. It has been well documented. It's weird. He says, we need a leader that wrote The Art of the Deal. That's a book he wrote. He says, let me tell you, I'm a really smart guy. He says, I'll be the greatest job president that God ever created. He said, all the women on The Apprentice, that's his show. He said, all the women on The Apprentice, they flirted with me, consciously or unconsciously. And, you know, that's to be expected because, you know, I'm so great. He says, sorry, losers and haters, but my IQ is one of the highest, and you all know it. Please don't feel so stupid or insecure. It's not your fault. And then the greatest is, uh, she does have a very nice figure. I've said if Ivanka weren't my daughter, perhaps I'd be dating her. Wow. Ooh, sketchy. Okay, so now this guy, he believes in himself really, really hard. Like, I imagine him waking up every day and just saying, like, I believe I believe in myself. Like, he has a ton of self-confidence, but the reality is his fortune, uh, a lot of it was inherited from his parents in other places. Now, pride is something that we all struggle with. Perhaps you're here today and you're talented. You're in a position of authority, maybe in your school, maybe you're on student council, maybe you're in a high position on your football team or your cheer squad or whatever the case. It's easy to look at our abilities and say, I got here on my own, but pride is the root of all sin. Really, pride is, that's so weird. That Holy Spirit, are you here? The second time that's happened. No, do you want to try to uh, close that really quick? And if not, if you can't do it, just give up on it. So pride is the root of all sin. It's pretty much the original sin. Lucifer in heaven, he's with God. He's in the presence of God. And he looks at God and he says, I could do that God thing better. I, he doesn't know what he's doing. I can do better. I can be a self-made angel. We have to ask the question, is my life living to glorify God's name? For this guy, it's, he's not living to glorify God's name. He's living to glorify his own name. Look at all of the products he's plastered his name on. Trump chocolate, Trump ice water, Trump shirts, Trump towers, Trump jet planes, Trump board games, and Trump magazines. This guy's obsessed with his name. And you can judge him, but we can also be very obsessed with our own name. We can become obsessed. How do people think of me? How do people perceive me? I need to make sure that every Instagram post is carefully calculated to make me seem really cool. I gotta make sure that every Snapchat, every little six second Snapchat is like well thought out and planned out to make me presented in the best light, even though our snaps a lot of times present other people in negative lights. Thank you guys for, my wife is always Snapchatting me. Like, like she's always like taking videos of me when I'm just like at home making stupid faces and she does that thing where she like zooms in really close, like as close as possible to make you look really unflattering and then she sends it to Lexi and Lexi just laughs at me. So thanks guys. Anyway, I love you Brooklyn. I really do. G.K. Chesterton is an interesting looking fellow. Um, he looks like he would like discipline you at school or something, but he's a brilliant theologian and he says this, it would be much truer to say that a man will certainly fail because he believes in himself. Complete self-confidence is not merely a sin. Complete self-confidence is a weakness. Guys, independence from God is the heart of pride. It's like saying, I don't need God. And every time we choose sin, I'm not talking about the times you accidentally sin or you kind of fall into sin. I'm talking about all the times that sin presents itself and you make the choice and say, you know what? I'm just going to go for it. I'm just going to sin. You are choosing to be independent from God. You're choosing to say, I don't need him right now. And it is the heart of pride. I want to ask you guys, is your faith, right now, think about it, think about it. Your faith, your faith in Jesus Christ, is it self-serving? Is your faith for your own help? God is there for me. Whenever I need help, whenever I'm in trouble, God is there for me. Is your faith for security? 
I don't want to go to hell, so I believe in Jesus, and then I'm okay. Is your faith self-serving, or is it God-serving? Do you live your life to serve the one who gave you life? The greatest gift God has ever given us is himself. Truly, that's the greatest gift God has ever given us. And so many times we're like, God, bless me, bless me, bless me, bless me. And Jesus would say, I already have. I've given you me. You have the ability to spend time with me any day. There's this guy named Andrew Murray who we're going to check out today. He wrote a book just called Humility, which is the opposite of pride. And he has some beautiful gems um, in his book that I'd like to share with you that just I was reading this weekend about humility from Andrew Murray, and my mind was just being blown by how great these things he had to say was. So Andrew Murray says, humility, the place of entire dependence on God, is the first duty and the highest virtue of the creature and the root of every virtue. And so pride or the loss of this humility is the root of every sin in evil. Now what he's saying here is, first of all, we need to be dependent. Being dependent on God, and we don't like being dependent, because being dependent means like sacrificing your pride and saying, I can't do it on my own. And a lot of us, we like to be proud of our accomplishments. I like to be proud of my accomplishments. I like when I do something, that's good. I like it when people tell me, hey, that was great, that thing you did. That's awesome. And they, they give me a little clap, you know, and they pat me on the back, and they say, wow, you did such a good job. Oh my gosh, guys, I love that. I feed off of that. And I think you probably do too, because we're human. But God calls us to complete dependence. Think about just the awkwardness and the hardness of dependence at times. Um, the thought that comes to mind is just a senior citizen who was a brilliant man, you know, just like brilliant intellect, very smart, very intelligent, um, served in the army, fought in wars bravely for his country, just a stud. Like he had his own company. He's just He was rich, but now he's... 80-something years old, and he can barely move, and he has to have someone come and change his diaper. Like, that is dependence, and that's hard. For, for a man who felt like he was a self-made man, to have that kind of dependence on a nurse to come and change you, that is hard, and that is difficult, but that's the kind of dependence God is calling us to. One where we need to surrender ourselves. It says it's, he says it's the first duty. That means, like, it's our responsibility, first of all, and then highest virtue. It means like it is one of the highest things we can strive for as Christians is humility. If we start with humility, we'll go far. If we start with pride, we won't go far. In verse 28, John says, look at verse 28. Check out that verse. In that verse, he's talking and he says, hey guys, I told you, I'm not the Christ. Like, I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the one you're looking for. I was sent before him. There's a term in the um, in understanding what John is. It's called forerunner, and the dictionary defines it as a person or thing that precedes the coming or development of someone or something else, or a sign or warning of something to come. John was sent as a forerunner to Jesus Christ. Probably like one of the the best ideas. You all know the story, um, Paul Revere. That's probably one of the best examples. What did he say? Paul Revere said, "The British are coming." Right, exactly. He was a forerunner. The British were coming, and so he rode to tell everybody, hey, the British are on their way. John, in the same way, is a forerunner. He was sent before Jesus to tell everybody, hey, don't look at me. Everyone looked at him at the time because he was the craziest thing they'd ever seen. But John said, listen, there's a guy coming who I am not even worthy to take off his sandals. He is that great. John was a forerunner. And guys... For us in this youth group, for Hope's Anchor, our chief purpose, guys, like if you guys are wondering, like, what's the purpose of Hope's Anchor? Our chief purpose is to be forerunners. Because Jesus is coming back, guys. Jesus is coming. He is coming to take his family, his bride, to the kingdom of heaven with him. And people need to know. There's people all around you who are lost and sinking. They need to know about that hope. And so for us here in this youth group, that is our chief mission, that we would go before Christ to let people know he is on the way. Hope is on the way. Another good example of this is, um, you know, you guys ever heard of Isaac Newton? Anybody? You guys learn about him in school? So every young student knows of Isaac Newton's famed encounter with a falling apple. Newton discovered and introduced the laws of gravity in the 1600s, which revolutionized astronomical studies. But few know that if it weren't for Edmund Haley 
the world might have never learned from Newton. Have any of you guys heard of Edmund Haley? Okay. So, this is Edmund Haley. It was Haley who challenged Newton to think through his original notions. Haley corrected Newton's mathematical errors and prepared geometrical figures to support his discoveries. Haley coaxed the hesitant Newton to write his work, Mathematical Principles of Natural Philosophy. He edited and supervised the publication and actually paid for its printing out of pocket, even though Newton was wealthier than him and easily could have afforded the printing costs. Historians call it, call it one of the most selfless examples in the annals of science. Newton began almost immediately to reap the rewards of his prominence. Haley, though, received a little credit. Just stopping there, this is a guy who was selfless. He helped this guy discover gravity. He published everything. He paid for it. But no one remembers his name. And he was okay with that. He was okay with being second place. Others have played that role. John the Baptist said of Jesus, he must become greater, I must become less. He must increase, I must decrease. He is greater than I. John was content to introduce others to greatness. Such selflessness advances the kingdom of God. I want to ask you, are you willing to take a lesser part? Are you willing? Like, do you have in your mind dreams of greatness? I'm going to be this. And if I don't be this, or if, that, that was ingrammatical, I feel like. If I do not become this, then my life has failed. Maybe it's, I will be valedictorian, or I will do this on my team. I will score this many points. I will get discovered by a scout. I will go to this school. I will accomplish this with my life. We all have great dreams for our life, but I want to ask you, are you willing to take a lesser role? If God called you to McDonald's, you know, some of you guys are like, no. Some of you guys are like, I work there. Like, thanks a lot for making fun of me. I'm not making fun of you, okay? What I'm saying is, for a lot of us, that's not our dream. It's not like, oh, I want to work there. But what if God told you, hey, work there, and you worked there for three years, and the reason was there was one person that God wanted you to talk to so they would get saved. Are we willing to make that kind of sacrifice? Like to derail our own lives? It reminds me of this pastor who, um, he, he was, you know, he had a house, he had a good church, all this stuff, and God said, hey, I want you to leave your house, I want you to resign from your church, I want you to go live on the streets and be homeless, and I want you to be a pastor to this group of homeless people. And he did it. What an amazing sacrifice. Are we willing to say to Jesus, you're first and I'm second. Your dreams for my life are more important than my dreams. Lord, make your dreams my dreams. The second thing that we need to remember is that we need to surrender to the sender. We need to surrender to the one who sends us. It's the difficult part of decreasing. I was talking to one of you guys um, Wednesday night, last Wednesday, and it was during our small group. It was just me and these three other guys. Um, some of you guys in this room, you were there, you remember. And we were talking. One of the guys brought up, he's like, man, it is hard. Like, being a light for Jesus, being an example in school, it's really hard. We talk about it. We know it's what we're supposed to do, but it is difficult. And I totally get that. Like, I went to a Christian school, and for me, it was hard to surrender to my identity as somebody who was supposed to be on fire for God. And I just remember... One time we were in class, and our Bible teacher didn't show up. So all of us were just like, yes, party, this is awesome. Like, no teacher, amazing. You know, like you would. I mean, who wouldn't? So we start throwing paper airplanes, we start joking around, messing around, like, nothing wrong with it, there's no teacher. I mean, it's not like we were doing it, it's not like we were in sin. There was no teacher to teach us, so we just ended up hanging out. It's a Christian school, remember? A Christian school. And we're all just hanging out, enjoying the fact that the Bible teacher didn't show up to give us a boring lecture. Some of you guys are like, I wish that would have happened today. Sorry. Well, anyway, my friend Dan, just this guy, senior, he stands up and he walks to the front of the class. And he says, hey guys, can I have your attention? Everyone kind of stops. And I'm like, what's Dan doing? That's weird. And then Dan's like, hey guys, I just want to share with you some stuff that God's been showing me lately in the Word. And he just got up and he started talking to us. And we we're all just like, whoa, that's really cool. And we, I was super encouraged. I was like, no teacher made him do that. This wasn't like a test. Like the teacher was like hiding behind the door and he's like, all right, I'm going to see how much of a heathen all these guys are. Like the teacher just got caught in traffic or something. No one told Dan to do this. He just got up and he started sharing. And you know what happened? The rest of the class, the whole rest of the 30 minutes of class, 
kid after kid got up to share what God had done in their life. But it started with Dan. It started with him taking a stand. And, you know, the hard part of decreasing is for us in that Christian school, we saw Dan do that and we thought, man, that's rad. Like, what a stud for the Lord. That guy's the pump. But in a public school, standing up for the Lord, I mean, it's a risk. You can't always guarantee people are going to clap for you. Jesus actually says people won't like you if you stand up for the Lord. If you stand up for what's right, people aren't going to be big fans of you. And a lot of times as Christians, we'll only surrender to Jesus if we don't feel a risk. You know, For some of us, it's, you know, we're involved in FCA clubs or Christian clubs. So for us, that's a safe place where we know if we stand up for the Lord, we'll be accepted by everybody there. But Jesus has not called us just to encourage other Christians. He has called us, he has sent us to preach the gospel to those who are lost. And that's the difficult part because you can get shunned. People can reject you. People can start spreading around you like, oh, man, this guy's a goody two-shoe. Like, oh, man, she just goes around. All she ever does is talk about Jesus. We don't want to hang out with her anymore. It can be difficult. And a lot of times Jesus can become our dirty little secret. Jesus can become something that we don't want anyone to know that we are Christians. Like for me, when I was a kid, I went to a Christian school. Again, when people ask me what school I went to, I said, oh, you know, it's just a school, school down the road. I, I wasn't like, oh, yeah, Calvary Christian. Like, I am a Christian. Do you want to talk about Jesus? Like, that wasn't my heart. My heart was like, I don't want people to know where I go to school because I don't want them to know I'm a Christian. Maybe you're there. Maybe you want to keep that secret. I want to encourage you. You need to adopt the heart of Buddy the Elf. Seriously, the great theologian, Buddy the Elf, who said, I'm in love and I don't care who knows it. That needs to be our heart to Jesus, going around our campus and just the love of God shining off of us. And I promise you, if you do that, it will be difficult, but you will, you will experience blessings unlike you've never seen before in your life. You will see people come to Christ through your efforts. You will see seeds planted and you will see fruit. Sometimes it takes time, but you'll see it. And that is so much better than any of the fruit we can grow in our own lives. Because, guys, decreasing isn't losing our identity. It's gaining our true identity. Becoming less, saying, my popularity, my position, these things become less. Jesus become greater. As you fade away, as you shrink away, you discover who you really are. It's not, it's not the death of your life. It's the death of the lie of who you think you are. And really, do we want to believe a lie? Or do we want to discover who we truly are in God's eyes? John MacArthur says, But the cost of true greatness is humble, selfless, sacrificial service. The Christian who desires to be great and first in the kingdom is the one who is willing to serve in the hard place, the demanding place, the place where he is not appreciated and may even be persecuted. Knowing that time is short and eternity is long, he is willing to spend and be spent. He is willing to work for excellence without becoming proud, to withstand criticism without becoming bitter, to be misjudged without becoming defensive, and to withstand suffering without succumbing to self-pity. Guys, humility is, or, <laughs> humility is often learned through humiliation. Seriously. Like, we often, like, we can be so proud and then something humbles us. It's a bummer. I remember for me, when I was a kid in junior high, I went on the Star of India for a field trip. And, uh, you know, I was this dorky little kid, a little afro. But the captain of the ship, it was this total thing where there was like this pretend pirate ship. And there was a captain and a first mate and a second mate and a cook. And we called him Cookie. It was amazing. Um, you know, and this, this crotchety old lady was the captain. She was gnarly. But she liked me. And she was like, hey, I'm going to make you the lieutenant of this ship. And I was like, oh, oh my God. Yes! And she gave me this hammer, this like sweet little mallet. It was like the hammer of justice. And I was like, yes. So cool. And I walked around with that hammer. I was like, hey guys, check out my sweet hammer. I'm pretty rad. You know, everyone, everyone's just like, whatever, Aaron. But I was so proud that she chose me to wield the hammer. So she gave me responsibilities. Now, if you know me, uh, and my wife will totally not be surprised at this at all, but I didn't pay attention to the instructions. So she was like, no. With this hammer, you must do this, this. I was just in my mind, I was like, I am great, I am great. I, I like totally missed everything she was telling me. So the next morning, she found out I didn't do any of the stuff that I asked her to do. 
in front of everybody. This is, this, I, I promise you, this story, there is no exaggeration. This is 100% true, 100%. No embellishment in front of everybody. She called me up, scolded me in front of everybody. The girl I liked was laughing at me. She took the hammer from me and she gave it to the kid I hated, the kid who was my worst enemy. She said, you're the new lieutenant. Then as I turned around to face my class, a seagull pooped on my head. Like 100% true, just flew right over. Just and in that moment, I was taught humility. I was taught I am not great. I am nothing. That's how I felt in that moment, and I've, I've carried that with me ever since. Um, guys, we can be humbled by pride causing us to fall, and the bigger our pride, the harder our fall. But you know what the Bible says? The Bible says, humble yourself. Don't wait for things that humiliate you to humble you. Start now. Say, if you're prideful, if you struggle with pride, today, when you go home, just sit down and say, God, I struggle with pride. Humble me. Humble me. The Bible says, humble yourself, and he will lift you up. Here's some examples of how you can humble yourself. One, help your parents around the house without them even asking. But they just, they got on my nerves and ruining my life. Love them. The Bible says love your enemies. No, um, another one is do your homework. Like, seriously. Like, I, and I know, I, sometimes I didn't do my homework. Sometimes I'd show up at school and I'd say, oh, hey, what'd you get on problems one through 20? You know? Like, that's, that's, that's wrong. That's sin. I, I, I foolishly ignored that at the time. I thought, well, at least I'm not doing these things. It's not that bad. No, I was lying and cheating. It's wrong. Humble yourself and say, even though I want to play Call of Duty, I'm going to do my homework. Another one is when those school dances come up, you know? And you just, man, I've, I've dealt with this for so many years with you guys. There'll be this one girl you want to take, and you'll just get obsessing over her. It's like, oh man, I want to take her, but I think he wants to take her, and like, we're bros, and now we won't be bros. And like, oh my gosh, this girl's ruining everything, but I love her. <laughs> you know, just, guys, calm down. Maybe, maybe pray and see if the Lord shows you somebody who probably isn't going to get asked. And take them. Like, especially if you're a dude who, like, is really popular, you know? It's like, like, you can be so prideful to say, well, because my social level is up here, I need to get a girl who socially is up here. Same thing with you girls. Same thing. Because my popularity reaches this level, I need a dude who either is of equal or greater value popularity-wise. And if I score a dude who is of greater popularity, then my popularity will rise, and then I'll be queen of the school. Like, that's, that's how we can think, right? But seriously, guys, seriously, seriously, humble yourself and reach out to somebody. Like, there's so many kids who, go, who year after year don't go to those things because no one asks them. And then there's so many people who obsess over the people they want to ask, and they don't get to ask them, and then they just go by themselves. Like, just, like, just realize that in God's eyes, you're all equal, and bless somebody. And I don't mean think like, well, I am so great. Oh, hello, little peasant girl. I am the prince of the school. Come with me, and you will have one night of fantasy, and then you're back to your peasant ways. No, like, just, like, love people. Like, maybe invite somebody who socially isn't as cool to come sit with you at your table and can spend time with you. Like, bring them up to your level and realize that in God's eyes, it's all, it's all the same level. Another way is to volunteer. You can volunteer here at the church and children's ministry. There's so many places you can volunteer. Well, I don't have time for that. Yes, you do. Wake up early. Like, God revolutionized my heart in, when he allowed me to serve in children's ministry. Ah, it was amazing. Another thing is apologize, even when you don't think you're right. Ooh, that's a hard one. Anyone here want to admit that they're like a debater? Anybody? I am. Like, seriously, like, it's something I've had to work on my whole life. My parents thought I was going to be a lawyer. Because I constantly would just be like, well, mother, as you can see, according to my pie chart here, your remarks were wrong. Because, like, just seriously, I was so prideful and stuck up, and sometimes I still can be. Sometimes we just need to apologize. We just need to say, you know what? I was wrong. I'm so sorry. Sometimes, like, we will be so prideful that we'll just hold, even if we know that our parents are right, we, I, I will never let them know that I know that they're right. Because in doing so, I would give them the upper hand, and I always must have the upper hand. Like, that's just wrong. Another one is 
I already said that one, but just spend time with someone that you consider lower and realize that they're not lower. The Bible says esteem others as greater than ourselves. So do we like to be humble? Do we hate ourselves? Do we just go around saying, I'm terrible, I'm horrible, I'm so humble, I'm the worst, I'm the worst. Like, no, 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 no. Look at uh, C.S. Lewis, Narnia guy. He says humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. It's waking up and saying, how can I serve? I, I'm going to wake up and instead of spending 30 minutes like formulating my awesome Spotify playlist that I'm going to play like while I'm getting ready, I'm going to like go and make dad's coffee for him. You know, I'm going to bless my mom. I'm going to go love on my little brother, my little sister. We need to think of ourselves less. We just, we got to be like the moon, guys. You guys know what the moon does? The, the moon, without the sun, hangs in darkness. But with the sun, it reflects the light of the sun and it blesses everybody. But what happens when the moon gets in front of the sun? Eclipse. Total eclipse. No light to anybody. Guys, so many of us are eclipsing God's glory because life is all about me, me, me. Our last point for today is satisfaction does not come from chasing our story, but through pursuing God's glory. It's a free one for you. It rhymes. You can take that, put it in your mental pocket. A lot of times we think we're the center of the universe. Like everything revolves around us. It's just like, you're like, bask in my glory. The whole universe is about me. Yes. We can see life as our story. Life is about me. Guys, life is the story of God. It's his story. Remember history? His story. Can you guys imagine, like, you're at homecoming, and, uh, you know, they bring out the homecoming queen and the homecoming king, and then there's this, like, awkward guy and girl who are like, hey, we're just going to get in all the photos. Like, just, like, random people who are, like, like crowding in, like, sticking their faces in. They're like, hey, like, I know you guys are homecoming king and queen, but it should have been us, so we're just going to be here in these pictures because really it's all about us, and that's why everyone came out here to see us. Guys, that's what we do when we make our life about us. When it's really about God, we awkwardly crowd into his space when really God has called for us to fit into his story as his children. In my wedding, in, in verse 29, in verse 29, um, what John says in, in, in those verses there is he's saying, you know, at a wedding, there's the bride and there's the groom. The best man, what he does is he stands near. And here, he stands so close. At my wedding, my best friend Trevor Daigle was my best man, and he was standing really close to me in Brooklyn. And he could hear every word we were saying to one another, and he was joyful. Like, he wasn't standing there like, I can't believe this is happening. I hate Aaron in Brooklyn. No, he's the best man. And so he's standing there, and he's joyful. He's like, oh, my best friend's getting married. That's what John says in these verses. He's saying, hey, look, I'm the best man, and I want the bride and the groom to be together, and I'm going to be so close to them. I'm going to stand near. I'm going to have joy every word that the groom speaks to the bride. I'm going to have joy in my heart. But he's not going to be jealous. He's going to have joy. That's what we're called to do. Guys, a covenant, a covenant is where God says, I'm going to work together with man. God wants to work together with us. Like, ever since the beginning, when God gave us this world, this earth, he made a covenant. He's like, hey, Adam, take care of the animals, take care of the earth, serve me, love me, and I'll bless you, and I'll give you life, and everything will be great. And Adam broke the covenant. Noah broke the covenant. Abraham broke the covenant. Moses broke the covenant. Like, all these agreements, and people kept failing. And Jesus says to us, I want to make a covenant with you. I want to partner with you. I want to save the world, and I want to use you to help. I want you to go and live your life as an example so everyone who looks at you sees me. I want you to go and tell people about the gospel. But so many times we don't want to cooperate. Um, with Brooklyn, um, <laughs> sometimes I try to play co-op video games with her, you know, where it's like we're on a team and we have a mission, you know, and it's not like anything cool, like, you know, like any like first-person shooting games. It's like old school, like Mario and Sonic and Kirby games, and I'm like, Brooklyn, I'll let you be Sonic and I'll be Tails, and she'll play them literally for like five seconds, and she's like, I don't want to play this, and she'll throw the, no, I'm just kidding, she doesn't throw the controller, 
Uh, but she's just like, I don't want to do this. Because for Brooklyn, when she plays a game, she wants to win. She goes, I want to win. She doesn't want to cooperate with me. She wants to win. So what she does is she always forces me to play Mario Kart because that's the only game she can beat me in, and she does every time. She wants to win. Guys, in our life, we want to win. We look at our life and it's like, I have to win at life. I have to get on top. It's always the struggle to get on top. It's always a struggle to come out ahead and do better. Anyone here competitive? Anyone feel what I'm talking about? Anybody? Like, you, you're, you're always trying to do better than somebody. You're always struggling to rise above. But what happens is it, it leads to jealousy and selfishness. Let's look at another quote from our old pal, Murray. Hey, Murray. Murray says, uh, the humble man feels no jealousy or envy. He can praise God when others are preferred and blessed before him. He can bear to hear others being praised and himself forgotten. Because in God's presence, he has learnt, awesome word, he has learnt to say with Paul, I am nothing. He has received the spirit of Jesus who pleased not himself and sought not his honor as the spirit of his life. Guys, the Bible says, esteem others as greater than yourself. This is a struggle for me, seriously. I remember when I was a kid, um, I wasn't good at sports. I wasn't good at anything, really. <laughs> but I was, I was decent at the piano. I knew how to play some songs. So I remember at parties, and this is, you know, this is, um, this is BB, before Brooklyn, um, high school. I was, you know, trying to impress girls, you know, you know like how you guys do, who are dudes. And girls try to impress girls too, but that's a whole nother thing, it just girls are weird. But anyway, if you're a girl, I'm sorry, but you're weird, you're very weird. Anyway, for me, I would come to parties and I would try, well not really parties, home fellowships, the, uh, the poor man's party. Um, <laughs> it's true, I'm sorry. Come to Home Fellowship, by the way. It's coming up at the end of the month. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be off the hook, guys. It's going to be amazing. We're going to have cookies. Anyway. <laughs> um, but I would always, like, get on the piano and, like, try to impress the girls. And I would, like, play a little bit. Literally, nine out of ten times, my best friend, Trevor Daigle, who is a brilliant musician, I would get on the piano. I'd just be, I'd, like, sit down here and I'd just be, like, Oh, it's not on. I'd like to start to play. Literally, nine out of ten times, after about a minute, he would come over and be like, hey, uh, hey, can I, can I just, can I get, get, can I just try, can I get on there? Like, do any of you guys have friends like that? Like, you sit down, play the guitar, do something, and they're just like, hey, can I try? Like, literally, nine out of ten times, he would sit down and he would play this amazing song that he wrote himself, and all the girls would come and be like, oh my gosh, come on, get some And I would just sit there like, oh, best frenemy. Like, I will destroy you in your sleep. It was prideful, it was envy, it was jealousy. I, I couldn't stand that the one thing that I could do, he could do better. It just, it killed me. It, I struggled with it inside. But humility is being willing to be forgotten. To be able to fade into the background, to not have the focus be on you. Guys, don't compare yourself to others. Celebrate them. Like when people do good around you, celebrate their victory. Celebrate the things that they're excited about. The Bible says rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. John the Baptist was willing to look at Jesus and Jesus was, you know, taking over his territory. But he rejoiced and he's like, that's great. He is greater than I. And listen, listen, listen. It's very, we can hear this message and we can think, yeah, okay, I get it. Jesus is greater than me. I, I get that. But Jesus says, esteem others as greater than yourself. So basically, being a Christian means you think of yourself the least and everybody else is in front of that line. Everybody. Even people you don't even know. The guy who cuts you off on the freeway, he's greater than I. The guy or the girl who just spreads gossip about you and rumors at school, she's greater than I. The Bible says, think of other people as greater, love and serve everybody. Being a Christian is hard, guys. Straight up. It's, it's very difficult. But with God's Spirit, we can do it. And guys, I think it's sad when churches get territorial. You know, when churches are like, hey, I heard that you did an outreach in my town. How dare you? I'm going to do an outreach next month and now, like, less people will come. It's like, dude, like, 40 people just got saved. Like, that's awesome. That's why for me, anytime any kid has ever come up to me who goes to my youth group and is like, oh my gosh, I'm going to North Coast now. I'm never like, what? How dare you? I, 
I've poured into you for years. I practically raised you. Come back and stay with me. Stay. Like, no, no, that'd be ridiculous. Like, that is awesome. I love the guys at North Coast. I love the guys at Calvary Oceanside. I love all the other youth groups. If you guys ever end up going to those places, I'm stoked. I'm excited because you're hearing about Jesus. Guys, as long as people hear about Jesus, that's all that matters. And guys, listen. For our youth group, Hope's Anchor, I don't want to be the greatest youth group on the block. I don't want to be the most popular youth group. I don't want to be the most exciting youth group. What I want is I just want to be a part of a revival. That's it. I just want to see revival in this town and this uh, I just want to be a part of it. And there's going to be other churches doing that. I want to be a part of that. So I'm excited when I hear that some of you guys go to other churches. Like, that's awesome. I love that. I miss you guys because I love you and I don't see you as much. But I'm excited that you are hearing from Jesus wherever you go. So I just want you guys to understand that. And, and that, that needs to be our heart. Guys, fame, they did a study where they, they asked uh, teenagers, you know, hey, what do you care about? And this is, you know, 50 years ago. And, you know, what do you want to be? I want to be a doctor. I want to help people. I want to be a lawyer. I want to help people. I want to be a surgeon. I want to help people. I want to help people. It was all these, like, I want these jobs that are high-paying jobs, but I want to help people. They did the survey now. You know what the answer came back? What do you want to be? Famous. Exactly. That is, like, the undercurrent of everything that we shoot for these days is I want to be famous. I want my name up in lights. I want to be the guy who has the coolest Instagram. I want to be the guy who everyone in school, when I walk down the hall, they go, hey, like, that's who I want to be. The font. Guys, fame is nothing. Fame is a dead end alley. There is these guys, look at these guys. These are the most famous actors and actresses from the 1920s. Do you recognize these people at all? Anybody? Okay, Kia does. Kia watches old movies. The rest of you, like nobody cares about these guys. They're dead, they're buried, like no one watches their, like, it, it's over. These are some of the greatest uh, musicians from the 20s. Jelly Roll Morton. Nobody knows about him anymore. He's dead. No one listens to his music anymore. Guys, for me, I spent years absorbed in my YouTube channel trying to make movies that people, I just, I lived for the comment section. I would go on and be like, oh, I must know what people think about me. It's all about me. I love when people praise me. Guys, I go on my YouTube channel now. It's a ghost town. I get like a new view like every two months. I'm like, oh, sweet. One person watched my movie. It's a dead end. And so many of us will have saved souls but wasted lives because we were saved and we, we were you know, heading to heaven, but we spent our entire life just focused on ourselves and not Jesus. This is an epic Murray quote. Pride must die in you or nothing of heaven can live in you. That's, whew, that's rad. Pride must die in you. Man, I feel like, man, I get excited about this stuff. I hope you do too. Pride must die in you or nothing of heaven can live in you. If we want the heart of God to live in us, then we have to die to ourselves. Many of you might be listening to this study right now, and you're convicted. And you're, but you're thinking, if I surrender to Jesus, will I lose myself? Guys, without him, you're lost already. Seriously. I think some of you guys need to hear that, because I think some of you guys here, you believe in God, but you're not living your life for him. Your life is it's nothing. It's lost without Christ. It's been said that pride makes us artificial, and humility makes us real. And this is really true. Because, listen, this, this is good. This is good. Pride makes us artificial. I'm wrapping up, okay? Just a few more points, or sub-points. Pride makes us artificial, and humility makes us real. When you're prideful, you start developing around yourself an identity. Like, I am great. I am funny. I am attractive. I am I am smart. I am good-looking. And you look up, you get up in the mirror, and you stare at yourself, and you say that over and over again. It's really creepy, and if anyone walked in on you, they'd be like, you're a freak. But based, no, seriously, it's, this is true, though. Pride makes us defensive of our false identity, and we, we protect it. And we become fake. Have any of you guys ever seen people at your school who are just, they're prideful and they're super, super fake? Anybody? You know what I'm talking about? Super, superficial. Just, like, so concerned about what people think about them, but you feel like they've never actually been honest with you in their life. But humility makes us real. When we take down the walls of pride and we let people know, like, hey, like, yeah, I struggle with that. 
Like, yeah, I, I, I have issues. Like, yeah, can you pray for me? Like, I'm really struggling with this. Not like, hey, do you need prayer? No, 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 I'm fine. I'm fine. I, I, I've asked people before, like, do you need prayer? And they're like, no, I'm good. Pretty much perfect. Pretty much attained, like, Christ-likeness, like, perfectly in my life. We, guys, we need to be real. We need to be humble. Do you guys remember uh, earlier we were talking about the Incredible Shrinking Man? Well, from the same time period, there's a movie called The Amazing Colossal Man. And it says, uh, he's growing, growing, growing to a giant, to a monster, to a behemoth. When will it stop? Guys, pride turns us into monsters. We become so concerned with ourselves that we step over other people and we crush people. And then we become a target. Guys, when you become prideful, you become a target. Maybe you've seen that. Maybe you've seen people in life and they're so prideful. I mean, people may be nice to them in front of them, but behind their back, people just pick apart prideful people. Man, that guy's such a jerk. I can't believe that guy. Pride causes nothing but division in people. Pride turns us into monsters. Okay, wrapping it up. We just need to keep shrinking. And Murray says it best. Here is the path to the higher life. Down, lower, down. Just as water always seeks and fills the lowest place, so the moment God finds man abased and empty, his glory and power flow in to exalt and bless. In, um, I'm going to go back to, I meant to bring my Bible to, no, not yet. Okay, I guess I'll just hit the button. We need to read the verses. Okay, look in your Bibles, or on the screen. Look at verse 34. This is what John says. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God does not give the Spirit by measure. John realizes that we need the Spirit. In this verse, he's talking about Jesus, and he's like, hey, listen, God has sent Jesus into the world, and he, he didn't take the Spirit of God and give it out to Jesus in little rations. Like, you know, here you go, Jesus. Here's the Spirit for today. Here's the Spirit for tomorrow. And then I'll just grow and grow, and you'll get more and more spiritual. No, for Jesus, he received the entire Holy Spirit of God. And listen, listen, listen. Don't, don't ignore it. It's crazy. It's crazy if you're ignoring this because I'm talking about Jesus. This applies to you. Jesus, his Spirit is given to you. Like, God has given you his Holy Spirit in your heart, not in measure, like not in tiny little portions each day. God's Spirit is available to you. We've done the baptism of the Holy Spirit before. You can, you can pray for that yourself. You don't need a pastor. You can wake up in the morning and say, man, I've had a rough week, God, and I feel prideful and I feel sketchy and sinful. Lord, baptize me in your Spirit and fill me with your heart today. That's what we need. And then look at verse 35 through 36. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides in him. Guys, if you accept Jesus, you get everything. You get the fortune. You, get, you inherit God's riches and his grace and his mercy and his patience and his humility. And we need humility to get through the day. Because I don't know about you, but I struggle with pride, and I have bad attitudes toward people, and I look at other people around me, and I think, like, oh, well, I'm not as bad as them. Like, I'm better than them. And it, it wrecks me. It makes me have the worst moods. It causes me to sin. It causes me to be wicked towards people. Guys, for your life and for your relationship with your parents and your friends and your people at school, you need humility, and it's right in front of you, and all you have to do is ask for it. But so often, we're like the guy who literally lives next door to the millionaire. And we're too prideful to go next door and ask for money. When the guys told us, like, hey, I love you, and I just want to bless you, and anytime you need money, like, come over here, I'll give you, like, a million-dollar bill. We, like, we live with God in our heart, and we need to ask for the Spirit. We need to keep shrinking. And I'm just going to close with this amazing clip from The Incredible Shrinking Man. Are you guys ready for this? For an amazing clip? I, man, I have a feeling like, like, you may not see the connection here, but when I watched this clip and when I heard what this guy said, my mind exploded with greatness. So, listen to these words, because they're so good. 
You ready? Okay. Oh. Ugh, party foul. Party foul. Let's go back. That was so good. All right, everybody. See you later. Just kidding. Okay. Just so you know what's going on. This is the end of the movie, and he has shrunk down to the molecular level. So he's like the size of like like dirt grains, dust grains right now. Just so you know. I was continuing to shrink, to become what? The infinitesimal? What was I? Still a human being? Or was I the man of the future? If there were other bursts of radiation, other clouds drifting across seas and continents, would other beings follow me into this vast new world? So close, the infinitesimal and the infinite. But suddenly I knew they were really the two ends of the same concept. The unbelievably small and the unbelievably vast eventually meet like the closing of a gigantic circle. I looked up, as if somehow I would grasp the heavens, the universe, worlds beyond number, God's silver tapestry spread across the night. And in that moment, I knew the answer to the riddle of the infinite. I had thought in terms of man's own limited dimensions. I had presumed upon nature that existence begins and ends is man's conception, not nature's. And I felt my body dwindling, melting, becoming nothing. My fears melted away, and in their place came acceptance. All this vast majesty of creation, it had to mean something. And then I meant something too. Yes, smaller than the smallest. I meant something too. To God, there is no zero. I still exist. So good! Now half of you guys are probably like, what? <laughs> but guys, I mean, just... Basically what he's saying is as he shrunk and shrunk and shrunk, he asked himself, like, what am I? Am I human anymore? And then he realized, like, I'm, I'm more than human. As the, he says, the small and the vast will meet like the closing of a giant circle. Guys, to God, we are so small, but one day we will meet him and that circle will close and we'll be with him. And he says, as, as he melted away, as he just continued to shrink, and shrink, his fears melted with him, and he realized, I mean something to God. To God, there are no zeros. In God's eyes, I, I exist. And guys, listen, as you continue, and I hope today that you will pursue humility this week, but as you continue to shrink and shrink in your own eyes, and as God gets bigger and bigger, you will not lose yourself, but you'll realize your true identity. You're his child, you're his disciple, Disciple, you're set aside for a purpose. God loves you more than you can ever know, and he does. Regardless of the pain and the trials you'll face, he does have a great plan for you, a great plan for his glory and for your joy. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. God, I pray that you would help us, Lord, to realize, as John the Baptist did, we must decrease and you must increase. You are greater than us. God, help us to live lives that reflect that, that it wouldn't just be an outward tattoo of something that we say, oh yeah, this is something I believe, but it would be an inward, inward, deep thing. 
that, Lord, when our parents say things that get us frustrated, we remember, Lord, you are greater than I. When somebody at school is rude to us, we remember, Lord, you are greater than I. Your ways are greater than I. Your love is greater than I. Your mercy is greater than I. God, I pray that we would shrink smaller and smaller and smaller in our own eyes and that you would grow greater and greater and greater every day. Help us, Lord, to walk away with that understanding today. In your name, amen. Amen. Happy Sunday.